0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such
1: an honor to present this next award.
2: And here are the nominees. And...
0: I am Katie Rich, and I'm here with so many people returned from so many festivals. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hi. And with Rebecca Ford. Hello. I didn't say return from the Emmys, but we we talked about the Emmys already. (laughs) We're we're done. Uh, We are fully all feet into uh, Oscar season. Um, The Toronto Film Festival is still ongoing, but um, Richard, as we record this, you are like hours away from having crossed the border. Like, Do you even know which country you're in right now?
1: I'm still nauseous from a turbulent flight. That's how recent it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was so I was in Venice for eight days, Toronto for six. So that's a full two weeks of film festival
0: it is quite a lot. And I think you and David both toward the end of Toronto, were kind of confessing that like, it, it's a lot to take in, you know, you're trying to like really process all of these major movies all at once, but I'm not sure anyone really can.
1: Yeah. And, and the way the festival was scheduled Toronto this year, it was just that Saturday and Sunday so the, of the first weekend, which is normally busy no matter what. But like this year, it was just back to back huge things. You know, so you had to write in between and wait in these long lines because one screening was getting out while the other was supposed to be loading in. And it just felt really chaotic. And partly that was fun because there was a lot of excitement in the air, but it was also just like... Compared to last year's basically empty (laughs) (laughs) Toronto, uh, this was a kind of a culture shock back to pre-pandemic levels.
0: Yeah, David, did you feel like you got to properly take in what you saw? Uh, I mean, because I feel like the inside baseball is like, oh, the lines are so long and the food is terrible. But it it does affect how the conversations around these films are shaped.
3: Definitely does. Um, I think it sort of depends on (laughs) the movie in question. It felt like a smart choice for me to start the festival with Triangle of Sadness because it was kind of a fun, wild ride, and I was truly so exhausted from going back from Telluride to going to Toronto uh, that I was unsure as to how I would get through the week. I, I think generally, if you see some of the reactions, there were some movies where it was like, oh, my God, that is rooted in that kind of fatigue and that kind of just, especially in Toronto, you really are running all around, seeing movies all day, um, and you don't have a gorgeous mountain backdrop like you do in <laughs> Telluride. Um You know, I think I got everything that I wanted done, and I'd like to think I (laughs) absorbed everything properly. On my last day, uh, because I had a late afternoon flight, and I was like, do I want to do one more movie? And um, then I got an email about a last-minute P&I ad for Santomer, which is a big French movie that played really well in Venice. And I thought, fine, I'll do it. And I sat in the theater, and I was like, why am I doing this to myself? And then I loved the movie, and I was very happy I did it, so... You know, you just got to push through.
1: Sometimes that last movie, you know, yeah. my last movie was Empire of Light, which I had heard sort of middling things about from Telluride, and then... The first press screening happened in Toronto, and people were really down on it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I got to see it. It's a big Olivia Coleman Oscar-y movie, and I loved it. And I was, like, weeping for the last 30 minutes, partly because I was tired and, you know, homesick <laughs> and all that. But, like, that mood works well. So if you're going to go see Empire of Light in theaters in December, just, like, I don't know, go on a long trip alone <laughs> and have to do a lot of work <laughs> on that trip and then see that
3: movie. <laughs> and see 20 movies beforehand. That right, way. yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, Toronto had a lot of movies like Empire of Light and The Whale and Women Talking that had premiered at previous festivals and kind of had their buzz shift a little bit. Um, But maybe we should start with the ones that really were the Toronto premieres. And I think the only place to start is The Fablemans, the Spielberg movie that premiered in that packed Saturday night window. I think there were people shuffling out from Glass Onion as Spielberg was talking. It sounded like a whole lot of chaos. But um, David and Richard, you guys both saw it uh, and it seemed to have played really well.
3: Yeah, Richard, you went to the premiere, right? I did. Yes, which
1: people were still filing in because Knives Out was right before it and so Spielberg was talking on stage as people were trying to sit and it just felt very <laughs> and then the movie starts and it's it's a much quieter sort of more contemplative mood than than the the one that preceded it. So um I was really taken by it. It's you know, it's about people who are not named Spielberg, but like it's about his family and they're moving across the country to various places and the troubles with his mom and I thought it was – I was really captivated by it. I didn't know a ton about Spielberg's biography. I know he's had a documentary made about him a few years ago. But, like, a lot of it was new information for me. And kind of a new mode for him. You know, all of his sort of influences as a kid are plainly evident in his films. But this time, he's, like, really turning directly to the camera and being like, okay, this is who I am. And with a a sort of sad sigh, but also, like, a little clever wink, especially in the closing shot, which is kind of one for the ages – and I think all of that is best represented in Michelle Williams, whose performance is, like, really, really great, I think. Um, yeah. It's big, but it really works. And, you know, our kind of text conversation afterward was like, oh, she's definitely going to win Best Supporting Actress <laughs> if they <laughs> run her in Supporting.
3: Which I, I think they will. Um I remember last year when West Side Story premiered and we we were talking about how, oh, Steven Spielberg has arrived and told us how a movie musical should be made. (laughs) And watching The Fablemans, I sort of felt like in this sea of childhood uh, cinematic memoirs that he showed how those should be made too a little bit with this movie, because it is so subjective and so rich in terms of the way he is communicating what movies mean to him and how they shape his world and how they shape the way he sees his family. There are some sequences of the way he films Michelle Williams and of the way the character based on him sees his mother that so beautifully illustrate the specific power of filmmaking to him and the kind of statement he wants to say to make with this movie. Uh, I was incredibly moved by all of that and all of the choices he made. Uh, A lot of, you know, vague tweets about the last shot uh, were made the night of the premiere, and I couldn't go because I had to go to the Knives Out party, the Glass Onion party, which was co-hosted by Vanity (laughs) Fair. Uh, But I did see it the next morning, kind of having that in my mind, and I got... You know, it's it's a kind of a whimsical final shot, but it's also really emotional, and it really just hit me in the heart. I was pretty blown away by it. I, I think it's not going to be for everyone because it is a sentimental movie for sure. But um, I do think it it, it works um, pretty thoroughly.
0: But I'm told maybe not as sentimental as the trailer that came out after the diff premiere makes it seem, which kind of lean hard on the like a boy learns to express himself by playing with his Super 8 camera <laughs> and the dreams of yeah. celluloid. Like it seems trickier than that.
1: It is. I mean, it's darker, you know, and something that I, I mentioned in the review is that, like, you know, we tend to think of Spielberg as, oh, he's a nostalgic filmmaker, he's a sentimental filmmaker, and he is those things. But his movies are also dark and violent, you know, very often. And I think there's not violence in the in the movie exactly. I mean, he gets beat up at school, but, like, I think the darkness is is sort of well explained in the movie hmm. that, like, his his first yep. kind of the first film image that really burrowed into his brain, not in a positive way in the beginning, was like a train crash where someone, you know, someone in a car gets hit by a train and dies. And he seeks to recreate that with a train set at home and a camera borrowed from his dad. And And I thought that kind of explication was really interesting alongside the sort of, why do so many Spielberg movies feature like boyhood wonder? You know, we get that too, but I, I don't know. I think it was a full and sort of honest Autobiography. I mean, who, I'm sure stuff has been omitted or edited or, you know, changed. But, like, it felt thorough to me in a way that went past expectation, you know, and certainly past what the trailer suggests the movie is.
3: And, and felt really true. I think when you watch a movie like Belfast, which I wasn't as big of a fan of, there's a lot of that sort of those rose-colored lenses and these very sentimental sequences. And the boy is this sort of, like... <laughs> Unrelentingly charming young fella. Whereas here, <laughs> whereas here, my favorite sequence of the movie is probably you know I don't want to spoil anything, but it is I think a moment when he realizes his own power as a filmmaker, and it involves you know him just shooting home movies with his parents, and there's a discovery that he makes in there that is kind of staggering for him and in turn for you watching it Um, and it's it's really quiet it's just him watching what he made but it's um it's really powerful because there is some darkness in that and there is some understanding of oh i can i can look at things in a more complex and dark way with this camera than maybe i can without it
0: and so it gets me clear that Michelle Williams is, like, the supporting actress, like, frontrunner with a bullet, and you will have plenty of time to talk about that. How seriously should we be talking about the idea that, like, Steven Spielberg, I think underrated by the Oscars, but not everyone agrees with me. Like, is this his, like, big old third Best Picture win? If
1: there was a Best Picture at Toronto, it was that, I think.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, there is the People's Choice Award, which we'll know the winner of by next week.
1: Yeah, which I would kind of think, oh, it'll go to Glass Onion, but you know, the the voters in Toronto, the, the the viewers, you know, they they do generally try to also get something that feels more serious in there, you know, like even if it's something with the tone of Green Book, say, but like, so I don't know, maybe the Fablements would be that, but but I think that because it is yes, a tribute to a, a love of cinema and that's an Academy favorite, but it's not heavy handed in that, and it's kind of very particular in that, it's personal, it's not just some sort of broad like aren't movies great sort of thing so and and the craft is incredible the cast other than williams is great this kid gabriel labelle i think his name is who plays sam fableman like the, the the spielberg stand-in is excellent like really a find, and he and looks he's like, a lot like
0: and he's like 19 like he's not like a cute kid
1: oh he's yeah he's a he's a precocious teenager who seems older than his years and is very you know narrowly focused on on movie making for a while, at least in the movie. And um, I think that the component parts are good enough that it's a movie that I think could stand alone even if you didn't know who Steven Spielberg is. So mm. I think that helps its best picture chances.
3: Yeah, completely agree with everything. that.
0: I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR, where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only
3: from NPR. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2%
0: Uh, Well, I feel like we weren't really long in Fableman's, which makes sense uh, because, again, it seems like the movie. But, I mean, we should just go a little bit back to Glass Onion, which premiered right before Fableman's and I think was probably the other most anticipated movie of the festival. And, again, like really seemed to have lived up to its expectations. Richard, I think you were one of – not the only person saying it wasn't quite as good as the original, but it seemed like you still had a pretty great time.
1: Oh, yeah. It's fun. And Ryan Johnson, you know, does – He's very, uh, like, au courant, like, his, his references, his jokes are, like, very sourced from discourse that was happening the morning you saw the movie, <laughs> you know? like it, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that can be an asset. It can also, I think in Glass Onion be a slight detriment because uh, a colleague said to me right after it was like, he was like, it was Twitter, the movie, you know, like, um, and uh, so I, I found that to be less rewarding than others seem to. Um, I also think that it has the sort of sequel problem of it just is like, okay, how do we, Netflix gave me all this money. The first one was such a kind of out of nowhere smash hit. How do I recreate that in another intricate way? I think I have to go bigger and the scale of the movie, even though it was a COVID production, and the sort of what's being talked about in the film felt maybe a little too big for what I would would, would prefer just kind of be like a creepy old house murder mystery.
0: Hmm. All right. But David, can we talk about Janelle Monet?
3: We can talk all day about Janelle
0: Monet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Probably the first half third of the movie. I was like, Ooh, I, I don't know about this. <laughs> There's a lot of questions about plausibility and, I think there's some awareness that Ryan is toying with you and you don't know how, but the movie does have, a, I think, a really canny structural shift that opens the whole thing up and really just allows Janelle and A to run away with the thing. Um, again, no spoilers. Ryan is very, very conscious of spoilers. I really don't movie. want, like,
0: I don't usually care about spoilers, but this is one that I feel very happy. Yeah, and I on. think that
3: that... Yeah, we, we want to honor that. And so I'm going to, I don't want to say too much, but it's definitely a movie that reveals whose movie it is by what the twists are. So I should probably leave it at that. But <laughs> I am of the opinion that Janelle Monet is a generally very underrated actress. She was one of my favorite performances in Moonlight. I thought she was the breakout of Hidden Figures and should have been the nominee from that movie. Uh, I think she's always been are often better than the movie she's in. I thought she was very good in a very bad movie, Antebellum. And it is a pleasure here to see a director recognize what a fun actor she is and also how much range she has and completely lean into that and let her loose a little bit. Uh, And she gets a hell of a final scene, too.
1: Yeah. And I also thought Kate Hudson was really fun in it. She doesn't do many movies these days, you know? Um, And... I'm also really grateful to her and Ryan Johnson that they gave me a reason to yet again mention how good she is in something borrowed, which I think <laughs> should have been an Oscar nominated performance. Um it's a very similar role where she's this kind of vapid but cruel socialite fashion person. And she's just so good at that kind of role. Um, and it was just really fun to, I, I kind of expected her to be like in two scenes and then die or disappear or whatever. Cause I was like, Kate Hudson doesn't really do movies, but she's a big role. You know, everyone gets their their, their chance to do something fun. And uh, I was happy about that.
0: I feel like anyone who traveled to Italy for that production, like in you know 2020 or whatever, like they're there, they're there. Like no one's flying back home. Wow. Well. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. No spoilers um that, it does maybe
3: maybe that's a throw maybe that's a red herring well, no that's
0: true it does seem like if you want to get your hopes up for Oscars for for glass and particularly for actors that Chanel Monet might be a reasonable place to pin them I mean we can talk about Netflix and their strategy and what else they have but it does seem like the enthusiasm you know got in a screenplay nomination it seems like there's reason to believe it might go further this time
3: yeah I'm I'm thinking about it. Um, Coming out of Telluride, the mood was very dark and grim. (laughs) And I think there was a real hungering for crowd pleasers. And Toronto just kind of kept hitting, you know, movie after movie with that. Like, The Woman King played really well. And Bros played really well. And absolutely, Glass Onion uh, played really, really well. Now that the race doesn't feel like it's lacking for that type of movie, and Mm. we haven't even gotten to Wakanda Forever or Avatar yet... I wonder if it's got enough weight and substance to, to push through because, you know, this race does fill out quicker than we think. Um, but I think it's actually a near lock to hit adapted screenplay again because that is one of the most obvious places where it pops. And that is actually quite a thin category right now. Mm. Um, so I'd be pretty shocked if it didn't make it in there. And yeah, in terms of acting plays, I think Janelle is the safest push, unfortunately, that is also the most competitive acting category right now. Yeah, we
0: just talked about how Michelle Williams has it locked up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rebecca, I've gotten to ask all my Burning Toronto questions. Now it's your turn. What what do you want to know about?
2: Um, I'm curious how The Woman King played there because, you know, I I have seen it and I think it's a great film but uh, it's quite commercial so I'm I'm curious what you guys thought of it on the ground over there.
1: I was at the premiere and it seemed to go very well. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, lots of cheers and, and all that stuff and I think something that I really like about that movie is that uh, Gina Prince Bythewood who who directed it um, she really just leans into the old fashionedness of it you know it's like this big sword and sandal epic and then also has this really exciting modern invention in that it's about people and places that we don't have never seen in in those kind of movies before so I think it balances its modernity and it's sort of gesturing back to older Hollywood. Very shrewdly, and um, it's very entertaining. In some ways, I kind of wish it was more. I wish it was longer. I wish characters were further developed. You know, yeah. Um, and I, that was the kind of quibble I had with the movie. But like, you know, Viola Davis is great. Tuso Beru is incredible in it. Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atin, like it, it. Just there's a really great cast, and. People seemed excited about it. I think the problem for The Woman King in terms of its profile at Toronto was that it premiered on Friday night, everyone was a buzz, and then Saturday was just like here's Spielberg, here's Glass Onion. Like it was, Mm -hmm. you know, there was no time for that movie really to like sit and be processed. But I definitely think that we can't overlook it for a potential people's choice.
2: I wish it was longer is not a phrase I think or hear very often, so I will... Especially
3: after these two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying Bardo length, but... (laughs) No, no, I know what you mean. And I think that is the movie's weakness in terms of its awards chances, because script-wise, it does hit some soapy, perhaps slightly more cliched beats than what the Academy would typically go for. Um, There's a romantic subplot that I don't think really works and that I think puts it into a different kind of category of movie than when it is otherwise. And um, the fact that it's also being released, well, we're recording Wednesday. Tomorrow, as you listen to this. Yes, tomorrow, is also not going to go in its favor, I think, because to Richard's point, it was kind of the talk of the beginning of TIFF. It was not the talk of TIFF by the end of that weekend. Now it's going to come out. I really, really, really hope it does well. I am really pulling for this movie and others like Bros that are coming out soon to, to find a big audience um, because they deserve it. And judging by what was seen in Toronto, they certainly play well to a big crowd. But I think it's going to be a real challenge. I certainly think Viola will get a run An actress. It's kind of part she is. You haven't seen her in before. She nails it. And it's Viola Davis. (laughs) She's she's, Not one to be counted out. She's calling it her magnum opus. She gave, you know, the direct,
1: Prince Bythewood came out on stage at the premiere and gave her talk and introduced the cast and stuff. And then she was like Viola, and then Viola gave a speech that was very rousing and and, um, in which she used that term again. And um, yeah, I think that, sometimes the thing that really helps a campaign is if the actor really wants it. And I totally. think, I mean, I'm I, I mm. not, not, not saying that in a cynical way. I just mean like, I think Viola's like, I'm proud of this work and I want it to be recognized as a serious piece of work. And so she'll help push that along, I would think.
3: It, it's, it's funny because you see that with Kate Blanchette 2 and Tar. It's like you have actors this season who really believe in their movies and are really getting them out there, which is nice to see because it definitely does not always happen that way Yeah, With like actors who already have Oscars.
1: Those two, Florence Pugh for Don't Worry Darling, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <just look.
3: laughs> she's
1: everywhere.
2: <laughs>
0: I was, I've never gotten over uh, my experience seeing another Viola Davis crowd pleaser at TIFF, which was Widows, um, which played so well in the room and then just sank like a stone when it came out. And I'm still angry about it. So I don't think the woman, like that movie was harder to market for many reasons that the woman king won't face. Um, but, but yeah, I've been burned before. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> no,
3: and you got to be careful of that TIFF buzz, I think. It does have its limits. And this was one movie where I, I am taking it with a grain of salt. We'll, we'll see how it does this weekend. That's going to be a big test.
0: Well, I have another TIFF buzz question. This gets complicated because it goes back to Venice. Uh, but uh, The Whale played at TIFF after playing very well at Venice. Um, and, Richard, you reviewed it and were really not a fan. And you were not the only one. You know, he had gotten mm-hmm. this warm reception in Venice. I think Brendan Fraser, we got, we had a, a listener write in that it's Fraser, not Fraser, like Fraser Crane. So I'm going to work on that. Um <laughs>
3: Like Razor with an F.
0: There we go. <laughs> um, Brendan Fraser has been really well-received and really well-received in Toronto as well, but I think the movie itself around him has been a little bit more of a challenge. Um, not inviting you, Richard, to just kind of rehash your review, but um, i assuming you're talking to other people who, like you, that yeah. movie did not sit well.
1: Yeah, I, I paid attention to when that movie was premiering in Toronto, just because I was very curious to see. Because what happens a lot of times with Venice, with um, Telluride, is... In the journey from the canal or down the mountain, something happens. And, well, I think it's partly that more people are at Toronto. And you get it's a more accessible festival in a lot of, like, monetary ways, geographic ways. And so you get a, a hopefully more diverse kind of perspective on the, the movie. And, yeah, the, the expected dents and dings that I thought that movie was going to suffer were certainly there. But I still think that it emerged intact and the Fraser campaign really did. Um, he has a lot of love for him, you know, uh, both within the the industry, within that kind of community and in in terms of the viewers. And I think that that kind of esteem goes so far. And I also think like, okay, we're talking Colin Farrell, the Venice award winner for best Mm -hmm. actor who beat Fraser at Venice, you know, Um, he's a contender, certainly. There are some other ones emerging, but like Fraser is still like, I think a couple laps ahead and I don't know who who is going to catch up and when, when they'll do that, you know.
2: Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen The Whale yet, but it reminds me a little bit of Renee and Judy because mm-hmm. it just feels like this is about the person and giving them sort of the accolades they deserved, especially for a difficult journey in the business. So um, I'm curious to see it, but to me, it feels like it may not even matter that much that the film is not well-liked by some people.
3: Yeah, he he just feels so far ahead to me mm-hmm. at this point in that race. I think you could see Colin Farrell winning a lot of critics awards, for example, and seeing that kind of split. The movie played really, you know, in Venice, it felt like the reviews overall were a little bit more positive. But in Toronto, when it was at the premiere, I wasn't there because I've seen the movie, but I heard it played, you know, everyone was crying by the end and everyone was saying audience award winner. And then critics were, I think, a lot overall harsher on it. Um, You know, I saw critics from Vulture and Entertainment Weekly. Really reacting quite negatively to it, and I think that that's going to be a theme as we get closer to the movie's mm. release. Is you know is is this movie not landing with critics enough to actually be a problem for him? But you know, on the other hand, you have the audience side where there seems to be a lot of love for the whole movie. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot and talk about Best Picture a little bit because uh, I was talking with a friend who I think you know is very good at the prediction game, and he asked me. Um, on the ground? What are the, you know, movies that I think out of these festivals came into, you know, have emerged as like strong best picture nominee, ch- having strong best picture nominee chances. And I mentioned, um, women talking, Banshees of Inesharin, Empire of Light, Tar, uh, and Fablemans. And then he said, oh, and The Whale, right? And I, mm. that kind of shocked me because I just wasn't considering it in that context, but he had been in that room. And, uh, seem fully convinced that it is it is going to play enough to that kind of wing of the academy to get into the 10 so we're thinking about
0: Um, I was noticing that I think it was on Sunday night as The Whale was premiering. They also had the TIFF Gala um, Awards, um, which is really interesting. It's kind of crazy to me that they have an award show in the middle of a festival where, like, no one has time for anything. But Both him and Harry Styles
3: had to run back and forth to their premieres. They (laughs)
0: did. Um, And there was a picture that A24, of course, tweeted because they are behind both movies of Brendan Fraser and um, Michelle Yeoh, who was there basically just to receive an award. Um, (laughs) I don't even think it was for everything, everywhere, all at once. It was like a... Share Her Journey Award anyway. A Tribute Award for Michelle Yeoh is very pointed at this point in the season. Um, And so A24 seems to know what their their horses are, the whale and everything everywhere all at
2: once. Um, It's not a bad position to be in.
3: No. I mean, those are two very strong contenders in Brendan Fraser and Michelle Yeoh.
2: Um, I wanted to ask about the other Harry Styles movie. Uh, Mm. My Policeman premiered there. I did a first look on it and I've seen it, but I'm curious what Richard and David felt about it.
3: And it's dead on
1: arrival. Ooh!
0: Ouch!
1: Sorry, yeah. I just fell asleep when you mentioned my policeman. <laughs> what, what are
0: we talking about? I think Richard Lawson killed it on its way to its arrival. Actually. <laughs>
1: wow. uh, yeah, I didn't care for it. Um, I and I, I I reviewed it, conscious of. I don't know if you guys know, but Harry Styles has a lot of fans online um, who are very, very invested. You've tangled with them many times before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, look, I didn't pull punches just to make them happy. But, like, there's an earnest effort in there, you know. Um, and I think the sad thing is you kind of just see him drowning. And, like, the movie is kind of powerless to, like, help him or doesn't bother. To, you know, he's just, like, it's just it's so much of the movie hangs on him m- way more than I thought it would. And uh, he's just not up to the task. That aside, I also think it's just kind of a stodgy movie that, like, isn't really... It's the kind of movie that got people complaining about, like depressing period gay dramas in the first place, you know? Mm. Um, there d- didn't really feel, feel like it had a, a raison d'etre beyond just, like, making people sad and then, like, Harry Styles being in it. Um, and I tried to go in, you know, with sort of a charitable, uh, open-minded view, which I do for everything, but the, this movie confirmed a lot of, you know, kind of early suspicions I had about it.
2: It's so interesting because I thought it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying. I thought Harry was better in this than in Don't Worry, worry, Darling. And to me, it felt like if he is given some more opportunity, I do think there is maybe a chance for him as an actor. But maybe I just had a different experience seeing it alone in a room several months ago.
1: But he's been a little bit quiet on on these press tours at the festivals you know like he's been there but like when asked a question his answers are pretty simple but like he does you know i've seen videos of him at concerts like you know he does have like a funny side to him you know mm-hmm. and i kind of was you know watching bros and, and i was thinking like, maybe he'd be good in like kind of a rambling sort of comedy like that you know like where he doesn't have to do this heavy lifting he can kind of you know further get his feet wet with like just like hitting your mark and saying your lines and, you know, maintaining the same energy throughout a scene. Because um, there was a thing about my policeman where I was like, I was saying to a friend afterward, I was like, I wonder what like sequence they shot in. Because there are some scenes where he yes. seems a lot more comfortable and then others were, and it's like, was that toward the end of production? <laughs> like, mm. you know, like he, he's he's learning and, and I, you know, I think he's fine and don't worry, darling. Um, I think the problem with policemen is just that like, it's a heavy role and in a heavy movie and he's not up to the task yet i mean that's that's true of a lot of young actors you know he's just been tossed into the deep end of the pool pretty quickly
3: yeah i'm I'm feeling a little bitchy, and I'm not thinking about giving Harry Styles more chances right now. I got to (laughs) tell Ooh, your
2: your festival burnout is really showing you. (laughs) I I think
3: this one, it was just like, you know, David Dawson, who plays his lover in the movie, I thought was really wonderful. The the movie and the story underserves him. I thought that was true of the book as well. Um, So I don't think that's the movie's problem. But, you know, it's just like, that was a real actor doing interesting, deeper things that it just felt like Harry couldn't go to for me. The notion of him playing conflicted in this movie was just sort of staring into space. Um mm-hmm. and that was my takeaway. Sorry, I really <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stop now. I just this movie did not this
2: movie did not work for Harry me. Harry Styles is I, gonna spit on you, David. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: is it possible this is the best thing that could happen for Harry Styles, though? Like to have a star is born, like that's a lot for anyone to shoulder and Lady Gaga like had her stumbles in it. Like he's made these movies, he's had his time in this intense spotlight. Like he can come back and try again in a couple of years when things are less intense.
1: Yeah. And in my policeman's case, like, it's a mess that no one's going to see. So <laughs> like, it's not like he's like, it's not glitter. You know, he's not having some like, hugely high profile <laughs> disaster. But if it were like glitter, yeah. it would be I better? Mean, well, he is, yeah. he is in Don't Worry Darling. I mean, people are going to see that. But he, but I think he's fine in that. You know, I mean, that's just me talking. But like, I, um, and also Glitter's not a bad movie. But um, <laughs> I was, I was going to challenge you on that. I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you corrected. Yeah. Um, you know, I I just think like God, this must be also exhausting. And like he tried it, maybe the bug will bite again in a couple of years. But like there didn't there, I didn't detect any urgency from him when he would do press conferences for either of these movies. Um, so I think maybe it's already in his rearview.
3: Th- that that's exactly right. That that was exactly my takeaway, and that's kind of what I meant about the campaign is probably dead. Is he just seemed done. He really seemed dead at that premiere. He didn't. It was. It was not Viola Davis at the Woman King premiere. Let's mm. put it that way.
0: I don't feel like there were any like really huge, high profile stumbles. I don't think there was any anything even on the level of Bardo at Venice coming out of Toronto. But is there anyone else you want to mention who like we had been talking about a few weeks ago as a big contender and now maybe not?
1: I have questions about the inspection. You know, mm. um, mm-hmm. that was a that was that premiered on the first night of the festival. So a lot of people had just gotten into town, and it was. A very buzzy premiere um, at a smaller theater, and it, there's a lot of good in there. You know, it's a first-time scripted feature from Elegance Bratton, the writer-director. It's based a lot on his life as a gay guy in the military in the early 2000s. Um, Jeremy Pope, the lead performance, is strong. Gabriel Union, strong. But I think it it was made made a quieter impact than maybe we we on this podcast had been anticipating based on its placement in, at Toronto and New York. Um, so I think that. I, I think that the movie has chances for maybe its two performances I mentioned, but otherwise it's not the big like breakout thing that maybe we were hoping it would be. But I don't know, maybe yeah. David, you feel
0: differently.
3: No, I, I and yeah, that that is another movie where I just feel like the campaign is going to have a really hard time. And that's this is a case of a movie that I really liked overall, um, but it it wasn't the breakout that I think A twenty four was hoping it could be. Um, it's it's a quieter movie in some way, and, and in some ways, a, in a good way, uh, quieter than I expected because it's not trying to reach for those moonlight level emotional heights all the time. And it's also quite funny at times, um, and it has a more lived in quality that I appreciated. But yeah, I, I just I think it's also going to have a really tough time as a theatrical release. I don't know that there's going to be a big audience for this movie, mm. um, given how small of a movie it is. Perhaps the rare one where because of its kind of social hook, it could have a better life on streaming. I don't know. A couple of people actually said that to me who saw the movie and liked it. So I've been thinking about that. But um, yeah, I, I think it wasn't a flop by any means. But in terms of where it can go from here, that's a pretty big question mark.
1: It's good enough. It's like it's a, it's a really strong first feature. You know, totally. can't wait to see what Bratton does next. It probably should have been at an in-person Sundance rather than immediately getting swallowed up by the huge movies at Toronto. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm again, I'm eager and like and like I think Pope like it's good for him. It's great for Gabrielle Union. Um, You know, there's no loser there at all. It's just maybe not um, the phenomenon that maybe we'd kind of pinned it to be.
0: I do highly recommend anyone reading um, David's interview with Gabrielle Union uh, the day after the premiere happened because she was just so great and funny and thoughtful and like it seems like a really exciting moment in her career regardless of where the film goes from here.
3: She is so good in the movie. She has two big scenes and she is just completely owns them.
0: Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala?
1: I'm Cho Minardi and this week on The Run Through Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run-Through of Vogue wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Well, maybe to wrap it up um, and to go in the positive spin of this, is there anyone who has kind of had their status improved since we last talked last week? We talked about Brendan Fraser already. We'll show you they're getting her award. Uh, Rebecca, I think you mentioned Banshee's a Sharon momentarily. Like, it played at Toronto, too. Seems have played well right after Colin Farrell won the Best Actor award. Um, who else really came out of TIFF looking good?
3: Yeah, watch out for Banshees, because I don't know anyone who doesn't love that movie. And it's it's both a crowd pleaser and really smart and sneaky, sneakily deep and gets kind of dark, but in a, in a way that is, is more accessible. Uh, I think that could have a very long, healthy life this award season. And Martin McDonough could be a frontrunner in screenplay at the very least.
2: Yeah, and it's also searchlight, and we know they know how to do this, right? Yeah, so
3: absolutely. I and know. I think that this—the good thing about how Empire of Light played—is I think they quite clearly see that Banshees is their strongest contender. Mm. You know, it was really widely acclaimed, and also I think it is a, is a sleeper for the Audience Award, um, just because people do really connect with Martin's McDonough's movies generally. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they've all been. You know, is such a cult hit now. Three, Three bill billboards won. certainly had a great life. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that 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 this is a movie that did really well in Venice, and that seemed to only build in Toronto. And then on the other hand, I think Women Talking cooled off a little bit. It's a movie that was destined for a great Telluride launch, and they nailed that. Uh, I expected it to meet a little bit more resistance in Toronto. I think people. Still are really high on the movie overall, but uh, as a Best Picture frontrunner, I think you can safely say it's down, down from that tier now.
0: I wanted to point out a Searchlight movie real quick from what you said, David, that I don't think any of us have seen, but people love the menu. People mm. love the menu. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, <laughs> I have not seen it. I love Refine so much, and I'm so excited about it. So maybe I'm just putting, putting a pin in that, that that's worth watching.
2: I also am curious to see what happens with The Good Nurse, which premiered at TIFF. Mm. Um, it's a Netflix film. It was, seemed to be kind of lower on their priorities, but I think it was received really well. It's Jessica Chastain, Eddie Redmayne. Um, I believe Eddie's going to go supporting and Jessica Leed. So, you know, it's two Oscar winners in a movie that I thought was quite well done and was totally interesting and fascinating to watch. And so um, I'm curious if, if that's going to get a little bit more of a boost coming out of the festival.
1: Yeah, I didn't see that one because they scheduled it at 9.45 at night and I said, "I'm good night, nurse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not doing that. Um, I guess there was technically a press screening the next morning. But um, yeah, I heard good things about it, too. I'm curious to see it. Um, I think I think it's not at the top of Netflix's priority list, you know, but it does definitely sound interesting. I mean, there are other movies like the Laura Poitras film that won Venice that played really, really well at yes. Toronto. Yeah. It's a documentary about Nan Golden and her fight to get like the Sackler names off of like various you know public art institutions. Um and
0: it's headed to the New York Film Festival and Nan Golden designed the posters for this year's New York Film Festival, which are oh, awesome. So amazing. I don't know what kind of marketing that is, but it, it's working on me.
1: Yeah. I mean it's that's probably too arty or whatever to be like a best like the rare documentary that gets a best picture nomination. I mean when does that ever happen? But I like I think
0: it's literally never happened. Yeah.
1: Maybe it can it maybe it can't happen. I don't know. But I, I just I think that's one to keep an eye on certainly and one of the big titles that I was sad to have missed in in addition to uh Saint Omer uh which Yeah, I David think it, loved. at
0: the very least it'll be another year like a uh, Laura Portis, a Citizen 4 where there's just the one documentary that everyone just knows is going to win and everyone yeah. talks about and um it it dominates it that way.
1: I think Triangle of Sadness got a real big boost at TIFF too. You know, it was, a, or I think one of the first press screenings. Uh, the crazy lines, people getting shut out. The public screenings seemed to have gone over very well. You know, it was just kind of buzzy, 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 as much as it could be when there were all these other huge new films premiering. Um, you know, just two days later, but um, that helped. And um, the last one I want to say is like, I think Judd Hirsch, who's in basically Ooh, one of oh, the yeah. scenes, I'm the glad you movies, mentioned Jud, is like so good that he got applause when he exited at the premiere. Like, like his scene was ending, and the whole crowd started applauding. Like, it was really something. To, I've never seen that before. And, you know, he's he's great. It's a really pivotal kind of film-defining scene. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets kind of the Beatrice straight treatment and, you know, gets nominated for very little screen time. That's I awesome. think he is a
3: huge contender for a nomination. Uh, and during the Canadian broadcast of the Emmys, there was a Fableman's trailer, and it was all Judd Hirsch. And it was quite quite interesting yeah yeah.
0: me looking up if Judd Hirsch is Canadian nope he's from New York Um, just you know if he got like the hometown hero treatment on Canadian Canadian (laughs) favorite
3: stats Uh, no I yeah I mean he's so good in it it was one of my favorite scenes so I hope so
0: Uh, Well, we'll be back next week to talk about all of this. Maybe gather our thoughts, honestly, and figure out um, what the season ahead looks like. Um, But in the meantime, all of Richard and David's amazing TIFF coverage is available for you. We had a whole live blog uh, with little tidbits that didn't even make it into other articles. So I highly recommend scrolling back through the whole thing. Our portrait studio was gorgeous with photographer Sebastian Kim. So look at those. Um, And follow us on Twitter. We're at HWD. I am at Katie Rich. And Richard?
1: I'm at Ryla's. And I just want to say, just to toot my own horn... There are seventeen reviews <laughs> from Ooh. Venice and Toronto <laughs> that you can read. In addition to we, Esther Zuckerman wrote some for us, so there's probably twenty-ish reviews. Um, and David, you wrote some, right? Um, so yes, uh, we there's do. a whole feast of things to read. Um, and other coverage. Um, so please do that because it was no, a lot of no a one lot will work hear from
0: you for a week because you'll be in your hyperbaric chamber sleeping. Yeah. Uh, and David, where are you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm at David Canfield 97, and I wrote two reviews
2: <laughs> and, with
3: another one on the way for Saturday. Hmm. Spoiler alert.
2: Uh, and Rebecca. Beckham, Ford, zero reviews.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best description of the Don't Worry Darling Press Tour goes to David Canfield.
3: There's a romantic subplot that I don't think really works. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper, with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton,
0: or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio
2: Hour wherever you listen to podcasts.